The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for the 2016 Twin Cities Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org.
live in cities like 30 miles away in ways that we would consider like people who have a southern drawl from South Carolina and then people who have like a oh you betcha accent from here in Minnesota and that's like thousands of miles away or whatever but they have that same thing like from Sheffield to like Manchester <laughs> like half an hour away so it's pretty interesting and just a little perspective on the size um, so yeah there, there it is again the kind of thesis of our little time here um, You'll get this a bunch of times, but it is both necessary and possible to leverage our whole lives for the sake of the gospel. And before we jump into that, here's one thing I wanted to do. A little, maybe wake you up after working all day or something. So this is a book that we were reading um, while we are over there as a CCB team. It's called Total Church. It's written by two guys, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. And Steve Timmis is one of the current pastors at the Crowded House Church, um, which is the church that we attended and that our CO team was with over in Sheffield. So that's the building right there, the crowded house, you can barely make it out because of the lights. And this is like a typical worship gathering on Sunday mornings. And in this book, um, on page one, page 33, as you can see, I thought this could be a good exercise. I know you guys just came off the Engage Global Weekend, and to kind of get you in the mindset of missions, this is what he posted in the book. So you all have a little handout that says this. We sometimes ask people to imagine they are part of a church planning team in a cross-cultural situation in some other part of the world. And then there's a whole bunch of questions. What I want you to do is grab a partner and spend five minutes picking any of the questions that you want and just brainstorm a couple ideas. How would you respond to some of these questions? Some things like, what criteria would you use to decide where to live? Um, how would you conduct your team meetings? Just pick some of those. And just for five minutes, a little brainstorm session. So grab the person next to you, doesn't matter who it is, and answer a couple of those questions. All right, so I'm going to call everyone back together. And I'd love just like a couple, a couple of thoughts. It could be for any, any of the questions. But some things that you mentioned it seemed like a good idea for anyone. Please be shy and don't volunteer your answer. <laughs> for the first question, what criteria would you use to decide where to live? We talked about a couple things. One is where we have experience or where there is a need that we feel. And also where we would have support and the people there to help us learn the culture and engage. Cool. Yeah. yeah, what else? Just a couple. I feel like for opportunities, I look at things that you advertise as well, like the new church. I feel like it'd be hard to plan a church where there's like not a city around where people would be like able to understand the message you're trying to get out. I feel like planning sure. a church in the middle of nowhere is really hard. One more. For the question, um, what would you spend your time doing? I think that like giving your life away to people around you and also like kind of what we learned about this weekend is like immersing yourself within their culture and learning how to relate with the people that you're working with. Yep. Yeah. Bingo. That's great. So those are good answers. Um, what I found really interesting is that Tim has posed this in this book. And then uh, here's, here's, what he, here's what he writes. So I'll, I'll just read this really quick. Um, he says, we find it easier to be radical in our thinking when we transplant ourselves outside our current situation. But we are as much missionaries here and now as we would be if we were part of a cross-cultural team in another part of the world. Mission is central to us wherever we are. These are the kind of questions we should be asking wherever we are. 
Um, and I give you those questions, uh, I want you to take them home and I want you to think about them. Uh, I find that really challenging that even as we did this like as a team over in Sheffield and we're talking about these things, it was really easy to think like, oh, like this is the strategy, like this is what I would do and get really fired up about this possibility in this foreign place. But when posed the question about, well, what about here? Like why not right now? Like why not in Minneapolis? Why don't we think about what a suitable income is in Minneapolis for the sake of the gospel staying here? Or why don't we think, where can I live in the most strategic of places for the sake of the gospel while I live here in Minneapolis, et cetera, et cetera. And so I find those questions really challenging. That's part of what I want to talk about today is just, what is my thesis? It is both necessary and possible that we leverage our whole lives for the sake of the gospel, not just on the mission field, but even here right now, in whatever stage of life we're in. So we'll kind of fly through some of this stuff. This is probably familiar. You guys probably went through a bunch of this stuff over, over the weekend. But part of the reason that it is necessary to leverage our lives for the sake of the gospel is that Jesus commands it. So very familiar passage, Matthew 9, 37, 38. He sees the crowds that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he turns to them and says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And just two simple observations from the text that we know is that there's a need for laborers and there's a need for prayers. There's people who need to be involved in this mission that Jesus is calling his disciples to. There's those two categories at least. And we, re we realize this need by just looking at today's world. And you guys are probably familiar with the 1040 window. You heard about it this weekend, but it's this place between Africa and Asia where there's less than 2% Christians living currently today in that area. Um, there's just a bunch of statistics here, um, but basically the, the bottom one I feel like is a, is a helpful one to just maybe remember right now. 60% of unreached people groups live in countries close to missionaries from North America. So it is, it is a place that is hard to get to. It's a place that nobody wants to go. It's a place that nobody is going, and there's a huge need there. So when we see Jesus saying the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few, it's not too much of a stretch to look at places like the 1040 window and see that there's a massive need for the gospel because people don't know who Jesus is. And so it's necessary because Jesus commands it. But here's, here's just a couple of little stories as well. So while we were in uh, Sheffield and while we were in Copenhagen, one of the primary things that our team was doing was evangelism on the college campuses, or the university campuses as they call them. They don't call it college, that's like high school to them. They call it university, so I'll, I'll call it university. But one of the people that we talked to at the University of Sheffield, and this is in England, okay, um, me and a girl named Micaiah, who some of you might know, um, were on the campus doing evangelism, trying to meet some people, and we met this girl named Maz and her boyfriend uh, in the student center. So we, start, we started talking, eventually Christianity came up, we started talking about things, and it was amazing. Maz had, had never met someone who claimed that they were a Christian in her entire life. 20-year-old girl from England, born and raised, who had never met someone who believed that the Bible was real, that believed that Jesus actually rose from the dead, that believed that sin and hell and heaven and grace were real things from God. Someone who is like your age and has had zero exposure to the gospel in her entire life. She, she looked at us and, and she said, I've never met someone who believes that when we were talking about the gospel, when we were talking about Christianity. Um, it was kind of like, you know, in the States, you guys might encounter this. Maybe it's people in your own family. Maybe it's people in your workplaces or at your school that you would maybe 
talk to or share share your faith about and they or share your faith with and they would say something like oh you're one of those people and they have some sort of like preloaded misconception of what Christianity is like you believe this about homosexuality or you believe this about creation or you believe this about the Bible or whatever it is like I know you're one of those people I've met people like you before uh, Maz, Maz didn't have a category for it she, she's like I've never met someone like you before and it was kind of like if you're reading like a biology book and you read about a tiger and you read that tigers have stripes you've never seen a tiger before in your life and then you meet a tiger and you go to the zoo or you go to the wild or some safari or whatever it is and you see oh my gosh like a tiger actually has stripes i've never seen this before in person like this i've heard of them but i've never met one before um this was the experience that, that we had with Naz on the campus and as we shared the gospel she was super resistant to it and it just goes to show in one little snippet one little segment that even outside the 1040 window, even in Western, like wealthy, affluent cultures, university students, well-educated, have never heard about Jesus before. Um, going to Copenhagen, this is a cool picture. This is a, it's actually kind of a terrible picture, but jumping off of this, you jump into the canal, which is like connected to the sea. It's really cool. So it's like this outdoor swim area. We were jumping off it, super fun. There was a guy named Bastion who came up and he was really scared from jumping at the top, so I told him I'd jump with him. And so we jumped off the top ledge together and climbed up ashore and just started talking or whatever. And soon enough, because we have an accent and stuff, it just came to, why are you here? And we told him, we're doing this cultural exchange, learning about Jesus and what cultures believe about him around the world. And it was so interesting because Bastion uh, claimed to be an atheist. He was super talkative, really engaging, and really intelligent, perfect English. Um, and he, he said that, you know, I, I don't believe that there's really meaning to anything in life. I don't really believe that there's great purpose to anything and that life is just sort of molecules bumping around and we'll just kind of die at one point and that's, that's basically what it is. And then what he said was so striking. He said, deep down, I hope that there's more because otherwise life is just really sad. To which we jumped in and said, like, there is more. There is more. You can know Jesus. You can know who God really is if you investigate that. And his response to that was, I really don't want to. Like, I feel like I have a pretty good life. I'm, I'm, I have a great job. I'm fairly wealthy. I have friends. I don't really have a need for this. And so even though I deep down wish that there's more, I don't really want to pursue even looking at it. Um, there are, are tons of people like Maz and like Bastion here in Minnesota. It is literally... 99% of the population in England and in Denmark. And it's unbelievable to actually meet people like this who, who are maybe not in the unreached people group window of the world that we're like familiar with or have watched videos of or have read about. Um, but these are people who, pr prior to me and Micaiah talking to Maz, no one has ever shared the gospel with Maz before. Ever. Ever in her entire life. And after we leave, um, who knows? Like, could it be? And this is just like, wrap your heads around this for a second. We might be the only contact that they will ever have with a real Christian. It's unbelievable in, in, a, in a modern country that has the internet <laughs> and things like that to actually engage with someone who believes in Jesus Christ is absolutely foreign. And so just to share, like those are, those are a couple examples, and I think hopefully prove more the necessity 
of leveraging our whole lives for the sake of the gospel because people are lost, just like we once were. Um, these are a bunch of passages. You guys are familiar with these things. I'll just read the top one. You might want to write down the references of just a couple other places that Jesus and Paul talk about sharing the gospel and, and giving our lives to them. But the top one is very familiar from Matthew 28. It's the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, period. And that's the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is the final words that Jesus says um, in this, this eyewitness account. To make disciples, to go to all nations and bring this message of him to those people. And so why it's necessary because Jesus commands it. Um, it's necessary because it's central to God's glory. So here's just another example. This gospel of the kingdom, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So catch that. Like The gospel will be proclaimed to all nations and after that is done, after that purpose is finished, then the end will come. God's purpose in the world is that this testimony of Jesus will be made known to people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and then the end will come. Um, just, just uh, I think this is, isn't Psalm 98.2 like the theme verse for the summer? Is that right? For STP? Mm-hmm. I thought it was. So just another one. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. There's something about the gospel going forth to peoples from every place in the world that is glorifying to God. It's central to who he is. It's central to who he's revealed himself to be in Jesus, to come and reach people who are lost and we're not part of his own. And so here's another like popular quote from John Piper you may have heard before. But missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And so that is another reason it's necessary to leverage our lives for the sake of the gospel. And then the final necessity is that it's necessary because there, there is no greater joy. There's no greater joy than to give ourselves over to this great commission with our lives. Um, these are a bunch of pictures, just really quickly. Ben is a guy, he's from Sierra Leone, he now lives in the UK. He's a, get this, so in the UK, people don't really play American football. Um, they play American flag football. It's like becoming this really, really popular thing because people there love football, but they don't like the contact of it. Like, they don't want to get injured because they lead, like, active lives and they walk everywhere, and getting injured is a huge, like, negative thing. So he's like a professional flag football player in the UK. Um, he's also a seminarian. And he's trained to become a pastor. Um, and he's one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. Some of you, do you know Josh Nallis? Who knows him? He was at Project last summer. So Josh went to STP in South Carolina last summer and for the last year has been a student worker or like a, a campus staff over at the University of Sheffield Hallam in Sheffield. And he's doing it again this next year because he enjoyed it so much. He doesn't know what he wants to do beyond that, but he knows I want to do this for another year. I want to see people come to know Jesus. Um, this is me and a couple of girls that I met in Denmark when we got stuck in Denmark for a couple of days. Ida is a, a student worker there as well, giving her life to students at the University of Copenhagen. That's me and Tim. We started doing ministry together 
three years ago, we started raising support together. He went to Bethel, I went to St. Thomas, and we met at a summer project dreaming about what God could do with our lives overseas. So to be with Tim overseas, there's just like nothing better. To actually be sitting in his living room in Sheffield, praising God that he has done this with our lives. And this guy right here is a guy named Sam Trevor. And Sam, basically, uh, he's Josh's roommate, really good friends with Tim. And a couple weeks before we left, these two guys baptized Sam because Sam just became a Christian this semester. Sam is an architect in Sheffield. He went to the University of Sheffield, Hallam, got a lot of great offers for jobs in different places. But because he was investigating Christianity and had been so impacted by the community at the Crowded House, he decided to take a lower paying job, live in Sheffield, and months later, God saved him. He changed his heart. And so to watch and film and see Sam get baptized, this is right, you can't tell, but he's wet. He just got out of the water here. Um, but to watch the joy of guys like Tim and Josh and Ben who have been sharing with Sam, that there's nothing better than to give ourselves and our time and our money and our effort and our friendship to people who don't know Jesus so that they would know him. And John writes this. He says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's 3 John 1. Um, and here's a great quote from a guy named J. Campbell White. I'll return to that name, so remember it, Campbell White. But here's a quote from him. He said, Most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose toward the world he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. The men who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of life its sweetest and most precious, priceless rewards. Um, J. Campbell White was a businessman. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a missionary. He was a businessman. So just keep that lodged away. We'll, we'll come back to it. So that is the, some of the reasons why it's necessary that we leverage our whole lives for the sake of the gospel. But you guys might be thinking, you're coming off the weekend. I know there's like those categories like, man, I might be a prayer, or I might be a, a goer, I might be a mobilizer, or these different categories. Well, what could that look like? And I just want to like encourage you guys with some ideas and some stories that it is possible to leverage your whole life for the sake of the gospel and be obedient to Jesus and get out of life its sweetest and most precious, priceless rewards. So one, be an overseas missionary. It's actually possible. Um, here's a picture of us on the University of Sheffield campus uh, playing spike ball. And you see we got a little soccer ball there that Tim's standing on. While we were over there, um, one of the things that I think just kind of swept over us, Americans who were there for a couple of weeks, a month at, the, at that point or whatever, was just the reality that like, wow, this isn't like, there's things about this that are hard. And hearing stories from like, Tim and Cassie and Steve and Lindsay and Andrew and Sarah, who've been there longer than us, like there's some really, really hard things about going overseas, being a full-time missionary, leaving friends, leaving family, raising support, all the different things. But it's really possible. Like it's really possible to go to another place and learn the culture and to make new friends there and to assimilate with that context and to actually have gospel conversations with people and to have those experiences with people of just 
loving them and sharing something that we love, like spike ball, and building friendship with people that we can reconnect with later and continue sharing our lives and what's most precious with us. And it's, it just became apparent to us, like, it's not like the all-stars go and become missionaries overseas. It's really regular, ordinary people like us who are Christians, who have the Holy Spirit, and who have a burden to let other people know about Jesus. It's really possible to do that. And case in point is the team that we sent from Minneapolis over the last 12 months in total, um, the Dishers, the Knights, and the Devanes, respectively. Um, awesome people that we love and miss here in Minneapolis. Some of you might know them, a bunch of you probably don't at all, uh, but they've been part of the Campus Arch team here for you know, at least three years, like Tim when we came on staff together and then far longer for the rest of them. And they're, they're doing it right now. They, they were sent over there over the last 12 months as part of Campus RH to join that church. And they're actually being missionaries. Like random people like Tim and Cassie, who just like me six years ago didn't know Jesus, who became Christians in college and had different plans and different ambitions and different agendas. And God totally intervened and took really normal people to go and live a life in a different country. It's very possible. It's really possible to do that. And just another example, too, this is actually a picture from Copenhagen Church, um, which is in, you guessed it, Copenhagen. And uh, it's a really sweet church. It's, it's, a, it's about the same size as, as Crowded House. It has the balcony, kind of like Bethlehem's downtown campus. So it felt kind of like home, except it was 100% Danish. So it only could recognize the word Jesus, and that was like about it <laughs> like the whole time. Um, but even there, just for opportunities, their pastor, Klaus, um, he was talking to our team when we were kind of picking his brain and learning about the culture there and learning about the lost in that country and everything. And he was just basically saying, like, you know, we have to really have an internship because we could just really use more people here. Like, we could really use more laborers here, people who would share the gospel with students on the campus, people who would help administratively in our church, whatever it would be. Um, we should really do that. And he was like, do any of you want to do that? Like, you should let me know. Like, we can, we can make this happen immediately if you guys want to do this. <clears throat> and just to like, that's one snapshot. And literally the Crowder House in Sheffield said the same thing. Of just like, if you want to come, please come. Like, we need more people who are going to be Christian witnesses in this city. Because there's just not many. There's just not many here. And we're not looking for the all-stars. We're not looking for the seminary grads. We're not looking for like certain prototype Christian missionaries. We're looking for really normal people to work jobs, to be a part of a church, maybe to do ministry full-time, whatever it would look like. But it's really possible to be an overseas missionary. Um, another possibility, and this maybe like zooms in a little bit more to where you guys are at as working jobs this summer even, and probably anticipating something like that going beyond your college years, but be an agitator of missional community. So I'm gonna read this little story here. This is a guy, you'll never forget this name. His name is Count Zinzendorf. Okay, Count Zinzendorf, and he's from Germany. And uh, this is a really, really cool, a really cool story of ordinary people, okay? It's like ordinary people being a gospel witness and impacting the world. So I'm gonna read this. And I'll try to read it like a little dramatically so that I'll like bring you guys into the story, you know. Um, but this is again from Total Church. Um, Timothy is writing about this. It says, in 1700, 
Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf was born into a noble family in Dresden, in what is now Eastern Germany. He studied law at university and was part of the court at Dresden. But a turning point in his life came when he met a carpenter called Christian David, who persuaded Zinzendorf to use his estate as a place of refuge for a group of persecuted Christians from Moravia. The refugees formed a new village, Hernhut, on the estate. Within five years, however, the growing community was bitterly divided, and Zinzendorf took over the leadership in 1727. So get this. Shortly after the intervention of Count Zinzendorf, the community experienced a time of remarkable spiritual awakening, and the warring factions were reconciled. Hernhut grew rapidly and became a major influence for Christian renewal during the 18th century. One of the immediate consequences of this revival was the establishment of a continuous prayer watch that continued for 100 years. They prayed for 100 years straight. Okay. Okay. Just whatever. Uh, this in turn shaped one of the most striking features of the Moravians, namely their radical and costly commitment to taking the good news of Christ to the far corners of the world. On one occasion, Zinzendorf visited Copenhagen uh, and a he let's see, uh, visited Copenhagen to attend the coronation of Christian IV. It was there that he met people from remote lands, such as the West Indies and Greenland. And as he heard about conditions in these places, he found himself gripped by an intense passion to reach them with the word of God. And then, uh, let's see here, the last part that I wanted to read. Um, yeah, here we go. In 1732, the Moravian community sent a team out to the West Indies. So felt this burden, saw these people, and then they sent a team. And in 1733, another party headed for Greenland. Over the years, the Moravians sent hundreds of missionaries to various parts of the world, including North and South America, the Arctic, Africa, and the Far East. Theirs was the first large-scale missionary movement, the first in history, the first large-scale missionary movement. It was a movement distinguished by the ordinariness of the people sent out. Get this, the first missionaries were a potter named Leonard Dober and a carpenter named David Nitschman, who went to the Caribbean island of St. Thomas. Um, that's, that's a crazy story. So this is hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years ago, and a guy with a big house is encouraged by his Christian brother, you should use your house for the sake of the gospel and invite these refugees in. And the result of that act of faith, of really, really, really ordinary faith, of opening his house, led to the world's greatest and well, the world's first full-scale missionary movement around the globe. That is super ordinary. And the people who went <laughs> are a carpenter and a potter. Like, they're not trained missionaries. They're just normal people who are gripped by a burden to reach lots of people. And Count Zinzendorf just had the house to do it. That's all that it was. Another opportunity. <clears throat> Be an agitator, a missional community. Do something like an English club. You guys have probably heard things like that before. I don't know if you have something like that at your school or not. But here's just like a couple of statistics, okay? 80% of international students, get this, like 80% of those students will return to their countries having never been invited to an American home. 80% of international students won't have been in an American home. And 40% of the world's 220 heads of state once studied in the US. So like put those numbers together, like, entertaining in a home the future leaders of the world who come to our country to study. That is a really ordinary way to impact the world for the sake of the gospel uh, by never even leaving the country, by never even getting a visa. You can impact the world with the gospel. Uh, pray for the nations. 
Uh, your lives are your best apologetic. Live your life with other Christians and with non-Christians. Um, the pastor, Klaus, in Denmark, um, he explained kind of one of his experiences uh, having Sunday brunches. He just started having Sunday brunches for his neighbors. And there's like a couple Christians and the vast majority were not Christians. And Klaus and his wife decided to every month have a breakfast after church. So they'd, they'd go to church and then they'd come home and have brunch and have all their neighbors come over. And it's crazy because over time, he, he in that first brunch, he sang a song before they ate their meal. Like instead of praying, they sang a song, which is really cool, a different, different cultural thing. But they sang a song about Jesus before the meal. And soon, every single month that they would do this breakfast, people would like want to sing this song over and over again. These people who are not Christians, who would talk openly about their atheism or about their questions or just like, ah, I can't really jive with this with Christianity, or I don't really believe this. But they keep coming back because they know nothing like it. They know nothing like it to have people actually invite them to their home to share a meal and to share something like a song that's important to them, that has something, some sort of meaning in their faith, um, has been like one of his greatest evangelistic outlets as a pastor of just having people over for French toast. Like, unbelievable. That's really doable. Like, be an agitator of missional community. That's possible for you guys, where you live currently, right now, on your campus. Um, here's another one. Be a world missions enabler. Give money sacrificially. I told you we'd come back to this guy. And I think that's a picture of him, but you can't always trust what's on Wikipedia. So I think this is Jay Campbell White, but don't, like, quote me on it. Um, but Jay Campbell White, so he, he was basically a businessman around the turn of the century. And uh, it's, you guys maybe heard of, like, the Haystack prayer meetings that happened. It was, like, this group of students. It was the first college ministry, essentially. This group of students who started praying for the world and eventually got sent all over the world sharing the gospel with people as missionaries. And J. Campbell White was the leader of the layman's missionary movement. So not the student volunteer movement, which was the result of these prayer meetings, but the layman's missionary movement. So ordinary business people. People who were, who were doctors and lawyers and had their own businesses. Just people like that who caught the same vision as these student volunteers who wanted to go overseas. And so what they did is they gave money very generously to fund everything. They funded all of the overseas missions that this student volunteer movement was doing. And it's crazy because Jane Campbell White is that guy who said, those who are putting everything into God's undertaking for which he came to save the world are getting out of life its most precious, priceless, and sweet rewards. And it's amazing to me, it's astounding that a businessman who, who, who feels so integrated into world mission by staying in the States, that can be us. That's really doable. It's, it's really possible to leverage our lives in that kind of way. This is a quote about, from John Piper about Campbell White, and it's just helpful. He says, the answer is no, you don't have to be a missionary in order to make your life serve the great purposes of God, to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared among all the peoples. But if you want to be satisfied with the lasting output of your life, you can't just go on with business as usual, doing your work, making your money, giving your tithe, eating, sleeping, playing, and serving at church. Instead, you're going to have to stop and go away for a few days with Bible and notepad and pray and think about how your particular time and place in life fits into the great purpose of God to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared among all the peoples of the earth. That, that's, a, that's a practical takeaway. 
like whatever the stage of life you're in right now, however many years of college you have left, or maybe none, as you're pondering, like, what, what's this going to look like? Like, what's it going to look like when I'm done with school? I hope you would consider J. Campbell White's life philosophy. I want to give everything I've got for the sake of the gospel because there's, there's no greater joy. There's, there's nothing better. How can I do that? Oh, I'm starting to be a vet. Okay, well, I need to get away with my Bible and my pen, and I need to think about this. How can I do this? How can I give my life away in that manner? Uh, here's basically the end of it. So, it is both necessary and possible that we leverage our whole lives for the sake of the gospel. Um, this, is, this final quote is from an article that, that Andrew Knight, so he's kind of the lead guy over in Sheffield with the Campus Arch team who just left. He just posted an article on Desiring God, and uh, this is just a really helpful analogy that I would encourage you also to write down and think about. He says, are you offering God a canvas or a coloring book? This analogy has tested the seriousness and respect I have for the Great Commission for years. Either I belong to God or he belongs to me. I either come to God as a blank canvas with my signature at the bottom saying, have your way with me, or I come with a predetermined plan for what I will do. I just let God pick the colors. We give God an outline, and he better stay within the lines. I left in July 2015, a year ago. I now live and minister in secularized and post-Christian Europe, Sheffield. No one made me leave, but I became a leaver through prayer. Be warned. If you're not prepared to leave and live overseas, don't start praying for the nations. If you do, you might find yourself leaving too, and sooner rather than later. I can tell you we have experienced incredible joy living in the goodness of God's plan by his gift of faith and courage. And so, think about that. Canvas versus coloring book. Like, what, what, is, what is it that you're offering God when you pray about what to do with your life? Are you saying, God, have your way with me. Do something. And I'm going to step in faith, not knowing what's coming next, but I want to live in this, this manner of living. I want to I live in this fashion. Or is it, no, I've really, really worked hard with this degree. Like, I really have this idea of, like, my picturesque future. I really know what I want. And I'll try to be obedient a little bit on the side with some of these kind of radical things that we're talking about. But I've got my plan. I've, I've got my way. And I would just challenge you to think, like, Maybe God has other plans. Maybe he has the same plans and wants to tweak them in significant ways. Maybe he wants to use the degree that you're really working on or that you just got. Maybe he's calling you to something altogether different. But what I'm saying is that it's necessary, possible, that we leverage our lives for the sake of the gospel. Um, how does this usually work? Nick told me I've got, I was supposed to like bring a couple questions, like a heart level, head level question or something like that. But we also do Q&A sometimes. What, yeah. Which way do you want to do it? We got 10, 10 15 minutes of Q&A. Okay. And then so we'll do the question send, thing at the end? Yeah, send them in the, the groups with the questions. Cool. Okay. Well, that's all the content stuff that I have. So Q&A time, if there are any. I've been talking for a while. I have a question. Like, what do you even pray about? Like, do I pray, like, like just where would you like me to go and do things? Or do I pray? Like, I feel like I just got a job and I prayed for mm -hmm. a long time. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, especially in cases like that, if like plans have just changed, you just got a job. Woo! Like, congrats! Like, that's awesome. And with that, 
the questions that should follow that aren't so much like, man, do I just need to scrap this? Should I quit? Like I just got it two weeks ago, should I quit? But they should be questions that are asking, how can God use this? Like how can I, this job that I got, whatever the, the field is, whatever the income is, like whatever the case might be, how can this be used to the glory of God? And I think in walking in that, in whatever stage of life, maybe it's your first job, maybe it's your fifth, maybe it's your dream job, maybe it's one you just absolutely hate right now. Not, not to just make radical plans and just throw everything up in the air and just say, oh, like, give me a plane ticket, I'm out of here. Um, it could mean that, but that's really rare. <laughs> I think to, to invite other people into what you're thinking, if there's things like from the weekend or from this summer, from this talk that feel convicting, you should talk to people about that. And, and ask for wisdom from God and from the people around you to discern, where might this lead me? Where, where might it lead me two years from now, after I work this job for a while? Where might it lead me sooner? Um, asking questions like that. I, I don't think it's, hearing some of these things shouldn't just be like, all right, like, all bets are off, and I'm, I'm going to just peace out of all my current responsibility, or just all of my, the places that God has put me in this moment. But I want to be asking, like, how am I using my life as, maybe as Andrew says it, a canvas or a coloring book. And one thing to just even note with this too, all of this, like the, we talk about missions and stuff because of the gospel. This gospel where God saw all of our mistake, our sin, our brokenness, all of our poor motives, all of our poor decisions, and he didn't shun away from us. He didn't shy away from us, but came closer to us in Jesus. And he, there, there's tons of grace. Like, if, if we feel like, oh man, like, I just got this job and the only reason I picked it is because it was the highest paying out of all of them. And now I feel convicted that I, I, my prime motivator was money. That was it. I just wanted a better income. Does that mean, okay, well, I guess since I, like, maybe had a poor motivation, I should just quit. I don't think so. I think that there's room for repentance, and there's room for accepting grace in situations like that, and learning to walk forward in faith from those things, not not just in selfishness or whatever. That's some words. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's about people that you meet that like, don't know anything about God or don't like still want to. Like, I feel like my biggest problem is I think that people in America know about God and so like witnessing to them is like kind of, it's not like useless but it's just like I don't really know how you found it to be effective when you meet people that are really smart and know just as much as you but they just made a choice. Like, I always thought that they made a choice and that was it. It's not my business to like force them out of that choice. I feel like I'm supposed to like move on and find people that are still open to the choice but I don't know yeah, so you're talking about like sharing the gospel with people who are resistant towards it? Yeah, like even the people at my work, like, yeah. they know I'm Christian, but they don't respect it. And so it's just like, I don't have to go out of my way and be like, hey, like, what I'm doing is awesome. Like, you guys are all wrong. I feel like I don't like to see what's in them. It's the same way as like, I don't like to see people that are just like, they're just like, they just want to know about Jesus. Yeah. 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 yeah, so within that, what's your question? Like, what do you do with it? Or, yeah, like, or like, how, yeah, I don't know. Like, it just yeah. seems like there's, a point to admission where people are like, don't know about Jesus, but I don't get the point of mission when they know about Jesus and they're saying that's it. Yeah, well, to that, I would say, like, I was that person. 
Like, I was that person who knew about God, had grown up in church, and other people in this room I know can, like, identify with this. But I grew up going to church, had learned about Jesus, had rejected Jesus because I loved my life, and other people came and told me about Jesus, and then Jesus became Lord of my life. And it wasn't because, like, I just changed my mind one day. It was because people were obedient to the call of Jesus to share the gospel and to share the good news of the kingdom with all and hope and pray that they would believe. And I, I'm, I'm a result of that. And so are tons of other people in this room. And, and so I don't think that it's, it's worthless to do that. And I don't think that we can characterize America as that in general. Because there's tons of people who think that they know what Christianity is and have never been presented with the true gospel ever in their whole lives. There's people like Maz and Bastion who live here. All over the place. All over the city. Um, and, and all over our campuses. And so... So I don't think that it's, it's worthless to do those things. Um, and just like in, in other countries and stuff too, it's like you just never know. That's why it's really important as we sit and invest in our places, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever we are in our city, um, to, to know people and build relationships with them and build friendship with them and learn what their conception of Christianity is because chances are it's not right. Chances are they've never really heard about what Christianity is. They've, they've heard about it on Facebook, and they've heard about it from Donald Trump, hmm. and they, they've heard about it from their mean aunt, or whatever it is. Um, and so to take the time to give ourselves to other people and, and know them and know where they're from is effective in being able to share with them in ways that are helpful and being tethered to the bottom. Other questions, or anyone have questions about like Sheffield or Copenhagen or CCP team or anything like that too? Would you say that there are ways that ministering in a different culture in England has impacted your view of ministering here? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, we were just talking actually, like while we were eating Chick Fil A, and I think being over there, uh, I just feel like it woke me up. Being here in the states. Like, we can go to our campuses or our jobs, and we can sort of, like, soothe ourselves into thinking that, oh, like, maybe I didn't get the chance to share with um, the person in the next cubicle, or, or maybe that person in my class, like, you know, I just felt really scared, and so someone, someone else, like, someone else will, will share with me. Uh, like, they, they, I know that they know other Christians, or I, I know that... Like, they have uh, some of my friends are friends with them, too, and, like, maybe there'd be an opportunity down the road, which totally could be true. But, but like, seriously, though, in, in, these, other, in these other countries, that, that's not true. Like, they're, like, just talking to Tim, he was, I mean, just, like, in tears, talking about people like Maz, this one example, this one girl, but so many of them who have never, ever heard of Jesus and almost certainly won't again unless God really intervenes in a significant way, like with a conversation with Tim or something like that. Because the truth is, like on a campus like that, it, I think in Sheffield, um, there's, there's like two campuses and probably close to like 70,000 students. And prior to the Campus RH team actually going there, there was one student worker, the one campus staff, for 70,000 people. Um, that's not enough. It's not enough laborers. And 
So, you know, Tim and Cassie and Steve and Lindsay and Andrew and Sarah come and a couple others, and they like multiply the number of laborers by 10 uh, because there's only one before. Um, but still, like, there's not the luxury of convincing ourselves that someone else might share with them down the road. That could be true, and we want to continue praying that way. But like, more realistically, they're just not going to encounter another Christian. And I think like that, bringing that back to here, that's also the case here. But because America is more Christianized, you might want to say, or whatever, um, we can fool ourselves into thinking that there's there's more time. There's not as much urgency. There's not as much need. Um, but it's really the same. Like, you might have the only opportunity. You might be currently at your job, like this summer. Think about this. Like, this is not an exaggeration. You might be the only Christian within a sphere of influence of someone that you're working with right now. That's not exaggerated. That's potentially very true. And so there's, there's a huge need to... to love people well, to build friendships with the people and just where we're at, where God's put us, and to, to be bold, to, to share when we can, and to make opportunities in boldness when we can as well. So that's, that's a one big thing uh, I feel like I took back that was just like floored me when I was over. Biggest culture shock. Biggest culture shock in England? And Um Biggest culture shock in England. Uh, I think, okay, so here's one. So when pe- when you, so how about this? Like me and Andy are going to like, we're, we're meeting or something like that. They're like, hey, man, what would I say next? How are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, how are you doing? So in England, they go, Andy, you all right? <laughs> and uh, and that like little change is, is so confusing. I don't know why it tripped me up so many times, but they always say, you all right? Instead of like, how are you? Or are you doing well? Or like, I don't know, anything that we would say here. And uh, like when we say, you all right? It's usually like when someone's laying on the ground injured or something. <laughs> like you see someone on the side of the road, it's like, you all right? Um, they, they, they say that just as a normal greeting. Or, or, like, they'll say things like if you're at a pub or a restaurant or whatever and they kind of, like, bring you food. Uh, or if you, like, pay. Like, if you pay at the grocery store or whatever. Um, and you, like, give them the quid or whatever and they're just like, oh, cheers, love. Like, they always say love at the end of, like, every single sentence. <laughs> it's really, like, an adjustment to kind of hear some of those things and get used to it. And driving on the other side of the road. Um, but Did you drive over there? I didn't drive. No, no, I didn't. Um, and in Denmark, uh, Denmark was honestly like way easier. Everyone there speaks English. It's crazy. And they drive on the, the correct side of the road. Um, and no, it's just like, it was really easy kind of assimilating into that culture. Um, but it's crazy because you'll hear people speak perfect English and you'll like think that they're American. And then they'll turn to their friend and they'll be like, Tulugumefluffestein and like bust out in Danish. And it's like, Whoa, like they're speaking another language and English is their second language. It's so weird. So stuff like that. Kind of crazy. Toluca Malfluffestein means happy birthday, actually. So <laughs> happy happy birthday. <laughs> it was uh it was Klaus the pastor's birthday this Sunday that I was there. 
And so I had the people we were staying with teach me how to say that so that I could surprise them. Should we questions and then what is it like small groups or D groups or just okay so here's here's just a couple questions um, that, I, that I wrote down for us so heart level question um, what is the biggest wall your heart puts up when we talk about spending our lives for the cause of Christ because you've heard like a couple kind of crazy stories like even the team that we sent from Minneapolis to go to Sheffield like they've literally moved to the other side of the planet that's like pretty extreme or Count Zinzendorf, the name you'll never forget. Um, like, he gave his house away. He gave his estate away to a bunch of Moravian refugees. That's, that's like pretty, pretty crazy. But when you hear things like this about using and leveraging your job and your house and your car for the sake of the gospel, what's the biggest thing that is resisting that? Um, and, and just a note, as you think about that or write about it or whatever it is, it's important to begin identifying that now because chances are that thing that really rises up, you're probably gonna struggle with that the rest of your life. That, that's going to be resistance that is just ingrained in your heart that over time, God is gonna give you grace to overcome for your joy, for his glory, to overcome some of that resistance. But it's important to identify what it is now. Is it a love for your own time? Is it a love for your money? You don't wanna give it away. Is it a love for control and having your own plans come to fruition and not letting God intervene, that sort of thing? Just a thought for answering that question. The practical question, so keeping in mind, these are the categories I'm pretty sure that you guys had over the weekend. Prayer, sender, welcomer, mobilizer, goer. Um, what's one step forward you can take to live missionally this upcoming year? Um, what's one step forward? Because I know from the weekend you guys, like, I think had, I don't know, you like, had to pick one or something like that. Like, which one do you think you most identify with coming out of that weekend? I would say, what what's the next step? Like, what's one way that you can really leverage your life in those avenues, in those different things? And what I'd say, just as you think about that, is that incremental obedience and faith accumulates character over time. So, if you want to be a great giver someday, you want to be like Jay Campbell White and give away loads of your income to missions. But right now, you're not supporting any missionaries. It's not going to happen down the road when you make more money. It just won't. Take, take the extra five bucks you have a month or skip Chipotle one time and purposefully give that, find out what the dollar amount is, $6.57 or whatever it is, and give sacrificially. It's not about the amount of income that you make. It's not about like how generous you could be one day but what kind of sacrifices are you making to be missional right now? Those little baby steps will accumulate over time and build character. So whether it's giving or, or praying or whatever it is, um, start sacrificing in faith-filled ways now. So what's one step you can do? Those are the two questions. And then, uh, yeah, what do we, I think you can just pray for us and we'll uh, transition. Cool. All right, I'll pray. So, Father, thank you for the gospel and that it's real. We don't gather here and look at your word and talk about these crazy dreams and think about living radically uh, because of a fairy tale, because of something fake, because of a, just a, a good story. But we, we trust and believe that the gospel is real. 
and that we were all in this room at whatever point once lost and now at whatever point and right now we are found and you've saved us in Jesus you've nailed all of our sin to the cross all of our guilt to the cross all of our shame to the cross and Jesus took it all because you've given us faith to believe in him. And it is just not a given. We don't wake up today believing the gospel with all of our strength and all of our gumption, but you've given us grace to believe from the start, even today. And we'll wake up tomorrow as believers because you sustain us, not because we're super obedient or anything like that. And so, God, we are, we are entirely dependent on you for the beginning of our faith and all the fruition of our faith. The ways that we talk about it today, the ways that we would have a, a takeaway from questions here and think about what living missionally and, and leveraging our lives for the sake of the gospel could look like. Uh, we're all dependent on you for that. We don't have like the willpower, the strength, or the faith to just do these crazy things on our own. So I pray that you'd lead us, that you'd give us clarity on what it is that you want us to do, and that if that clarity doesn't come, that we act in faith anyways and, and see what you might have for us as we work jobs, finish school, and live in the cities and beyond. So we thank you, God, and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.org.